I love illustrations. Don't you love illustrations this morning? Goodness gracious. God help us all. We are in a, actually kicking off a brand new series. Wipe off my hands as I'm operating electronics right now. Pray for your pastor this morning. Um, we're going to be getting into this series that I've simply entitled Beyond 52. It was in January of 2020 that I gave a stat that I actually checked my math with somebody else because I should never, ever, ever do math. Uh, I did pass accounting class in my senior year. Uh, not sure how, but um, I did, we did the math, and we really looked at the idea of how much time, if we were consistent to spending 52 Sundays consistently in church, like you're here every single Sunday. So right now, if you're here, you are on track for 52 Sundays. God bless you. But if you were to be here and have an hour and a half in church every single Sunday, that makes up, makes up approximately 1% of your year. If you were focused on Christ for the entirety of your Sunday, I'd like to say that I'm focused on Christ during the Lions game. That's not always the case whatsoever. It was not the case during Dallas. But when, uh, you know, when we have this idea of having Sabbath and a whole day devoted to the Lord, uh, that would be basically 14% of the day. And my struggle is this, is in this Americanized Christianity that we have regulated the idea of the Lord and who he is and what we do and our worship experience to being one day a week and actually even pared it down even more so to a moment on that one day of the week. And so my heart for our congregation this year, because we usually talk about vision in January. We talk about where we want to go and what we want to do. This is something that I want as the heartbeat of 2024 is that we are going to be a church that moves beyond the 52 Sundays a year. That I want to be a church that pursues Jesus more than just the 52 Sunday services a year, more than the 52 24-hour periods a year. I want to be a church that moves beyond the 52, that looks into a life that is deep into discipleship, that follows hard after God. And so everything that we do in this year, from the way that we're going to preach in a few weeks on our trainings, our tables, our teams, everything that we want people to do, it's not to make our name famous. It's not necessarily to grow K-First, even though I want that as a byproduct. I wanted to be a church that is consistently serving Jesus, following Jesus 24-7, 365 days a year to be a life that pursues who Jesus is. That's my heart. And that's what kind of leads us into this first message, my first message of the year. And I just got my text from my daughter. She says, make sure your phone is not in your pocket. It is not my pocket. It's over there. Thank you for reminding me, baby girl. What we're talking about this idea of beyond 52 and this idea of giving our all to Jesus, my mind went toward this beautiful story that we actually get in all four Gospels. This is a story, it's the story of an alabaster jar. And if you grew up in church, we hear, we hear about alabaster jars. In fact, I don't know if Pastor Olivia planned it or not, it was just the Holy Spirit, but the song we just sang was actually inspired out of this story. The story that you can find, you can find it in Matthew chapter 26. You can find it in Mark chapter 14. We're going to read it out of Luke chapter 7. You can also find it in John chapter 12. We get different angles of the story as the story is told because the story is that important for Jesus to talk with us about. So if you would, would you stand for the reading of the word today? Pastor, I'm still not there. I've given you lots of time to find it. Verse uh, 36, chapter 7, verse 36 of Luke. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Don't you love that label right there? 
She was a female and a sinner. A man and a sinner. How would you not like that just be the way that people describe you? Look at that guy up there preaching the pulpit. That's, his name is David. He is a sinner. Thank you for emphasizing that, whoever said that. When she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now the Pharisee who invited him saw this and said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors and owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of the both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon said, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, you've judged rightly. Turning toward the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wiped my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time she has come, she has not, I've come, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. For he who was forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a beautiful, beautiful story. Jesus, I thank you for the beautiful day you have given us. A cold one, but it's gorgeous. And Lord, your word says, just as the rain and the snow fall and does its work and does not return until it's finished its work, I pray that, Lord, your word would be like the precipitation in Michigan, God, that it would not just come down but do a work so that we walk away changed and transformed by the renewing and the power of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we just bless this word, this time together, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, give someone a high five before you're seated. If you are a note-taker, and I hope you are, y'all got to be note-takers. You remember 85% more of what you write down. I didn't take a lot of notes in high school, so we can talk about that, and I'm not going to today. But I've got a very simplistic outline um, that I have been prepping for a few weeks, and I, I think there's so much depth to what we're going to talk about today. So if you're a note-taker, I'm going to give you four words, and these are the four words I'm going to focus on today. We're going to talk about a jar. We're going to talk about a journey. We're going to talk about a jury. Some of you can get reminded of jury duty here. And then we're going to talk about Jesus. Four words. I'll begin the letter J. Why do we do that? Because preachers love doing things like that. It's easier to remember that way. But I want to talk through this story because I believe that there's an impact that God is calling us into. So first of all, let's talk about a jar. Nudge your neighbor and says he's talking about a jar. I'm trying to keep you awake this morning. There we go. We're talking about a jar. And it, it says that she took a jar took it, that's actually the specific verbiage that's utilized in John chapter 12, I believe it's verse 3, that she took this thing. In fact, the jar itself um, is a very particular type of jar. Now, this is something that's made of glass. This is not alabaster. I was going to buy an alabaster jar, then I saw how expensive they were, and I'm like, I'll use glass. And so, if you want to know the context of the alabaster jar, this is what they did in Israel. So, in my brain, um, I grew up hearing preachers talk about the alabaster jar, that it was a worth up to a year's worth of wages. It was very expensive, and they, they, they had it set aside. But there's actually something deeper than just simply having a jar of perfume around the house. The, 
what you would do is if you had a daughter, you gave birth to a daughter, you would actually start saving up and you would buy her a alabaster jar and it would have this nard, this ointment on the inside. And the purpose of it was, this is what you're going to have and the day that you are betrothed to your husband, that jar will get opened up and you will break it open and it will symbolize the beginning of a new season in your life. And so when we talk about that jar, that jar had such immense value, but that jar represented something deeper, something bigger. And so when we see this idea of this jar that she took, it says this, that she took, verse uh, 3 of John chapter 12, she took it. In other words, this thing had been sitting on her shelf, sitting maybe in a prominent place, or, or something maybe hidden away that she just didn't want people to see. Why? Because... People, if they would have seen the jar, they would have known immediately, well, she's not married yet. She's not married, and so maybe she hid the jar away. But that jar just sat away collecting dust on a shelf or away in a trunk somewhere. And it was just there just waiting for the moment when somebody would come by. Now, the beautiful thing is, is when you read the story in all four Gospels, is you'll read that this woman, her name is Mary. Now, this is not to be confused with Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is not to be confused with Mary Magdalene, even though I saw a few commentators think this was Mary Magdalene. But this actually was Mary, uh, the sister of Lazarus and the sister of Martha. We read about Lazarus, don't we? Lazarus in John chapter 11, he died and Jesus came and resurrected him. In fact, season four of The Chosen is coming up. Anybody like The Chosen? Anybody? Love the show, The Chosen. I usually don't like Christian movies and shows because they annoy me. But man, this is legit. Y'all got to see this. Anyways, they're showing Lazarus. John chapter 11, Lazarus is raised from the dead. And who's at the tomb side? Mary and Martha, the siblings of Lazarus. And so we get another story where Jesus is at their home, and he frequented their home. He had a kind of this connection. My guess is a childhood connection, this longtime relationship with this family. They were family friends. So we even get another story where Martha is busy, and Mary is listening to the words of Jesus. And Martha is complaining, why don't you make Mary help me out a little bit? And so we get a lot of background of these two and specifically Mary we get kind of appearing into her life that she is somebody that is not just a friend of Jesus she is a single woman and she is waiting for somebody to come in and to make her life quote-unquote complete and so she has got this gift that has been sitting on the countertop, sitting on a shelf, sitting in the trunk, and it's been gathering dust for a while because she is waiting for the right moment when that alabaster jar is supposed to come out. And my worry is this, is that for so many Christians and for so many moments, that's what we do with the things in church, is we're, we're waiting for the right worship song for us to enter in. We're waiting for the right moment for us to actually finally get involved. We're waiting for the right time, the right race to start tithing and start giving in church. And we've got these things that we have shelved up and we are gathering dust in our life because we're waiting for some wild moment, some specific Sunday, some specific preacher, some style of service in order for us to give our all to Jesus. And we are not called to let those things gather dust. We're called to take those things and to pour them out before Jesus. And so the question is, is what are the things in our lives that we have been shelving 
waiting for the moment, waiting for the right time. Well, I'll start being thankful when this happens. I'll start being generous when this happens. If I get the promotion, that's when I'll start giving. You know what? When I see the right opportunity, maybe I'll start getting involved. You know what? I'll start being consistent. Sometimes we're just saying about the Sunday, and we've got to resolve that whatever God has given us in our life, we're, gonna not, we're not going to shelve what we have and leave it there to gather dust, but we're actually going to give it and pour it out to Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can take so much of what God wants to do, and we can take it, we can shelve it, and we can just forget about it. But God has called us to live beyond the 52, beyond the moments where we kind of look and say, maybe today will be the day. But God's called us to pour our lives out before him. Because that's what the jar represented. The jar wasn't there to sit on the shelf for us just to look at year after year and decade after decade. We're called to look at the moment and say, God, whatever you've given me, I'm ready to pour it out before you. Because the jar was more than just a vessel. The jar represented, number two, was a journey. Because when the betrothed moment happened, it represented when it breaks open that I am entering into a new season. See, in the mindset of that day that, well, when I find that man, that man finds me, parents talk. How many of you, anybody have arranged marriages in the house? I knew of one in our church, actually. Some of you are like, really? Seriously? I absolutely had phenomenal conversation with them, but... I mean, in that day, there would have been arrangements, there would have been conversations, but there was this idea that the jar represented a future journey of love and completeness. See, and that's one of the misnomers about, let me, let me speak on marriage for a second here. It's because so often in our culture and in other cultures, the idea is unless I'm married, I am not complete. But I'm here to say this, you can get any spouse in your life and your life will never be complete because your life has never been made to complete by a human being or by a job or by a status or by a title. Your life can only be made complete by Jesus. And so it's no wonder that instead of waiting for some dude to show up, she's got the Savior at her table and she pours out before him. Now, what's very cool about this is when you really think about the depth of the story, because as we said, Jesus, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha had a deep familial connection. There was a familiarity. In fact, if you study the scriptures, when Jesus came into the area, whose house did he stay at? He stayed at Lazarus' house, his best friend. Shortest verse in the Bible. What's the shortest verse? Say it with me. Jesus wept. Where did he weep? John chapter 11, at the tomb of his friend who had passed away. There was this familial connection that was there. That so, so Jesus has grown up around Lazarus. He's grown up around Mary. He's grown up around Martha. He knows this family well. And you're like, Pastor, what are you trying to say here? Is that on this journey of following Jesus, if we want to get beyond 52, we also have to get beyond the familiarity that we actually find when it comes to the body of Christ and the place that we call church. Now, sometimes we can get so familiar with the way church runs, so familiar with worship services, so familiar with passages in the Bible that we we can look at and say, oh, I've sung that before. I've heard that story before. Oh, I've, I've done that before. I've gone up to the altar before. I've gone back to the prayer room before. When did we lose the wonder of what we have been saved from and who saved us? When have we lost the wonder and gotten so familiar that we just are missing out on not just what Jesus has done, but what we do here every single Sunday? When have we lost the wonder of it all? 
When would you, have we forgotten just to enter in? Once in a while, Pastor Olivia will say, you know, if you want, come up to the front. And, and there's always the same two people that come up to the front. And that's fine. It's, it's, it's not that you're a better worshiper or more of a worshiper. But I'm here to say sometimes y'all got to get out of the familiar to get yourself into unfamiliar areas so that God can grow you a little bit more. Because God can grow you in the tensions of life, in the tensions of moments. And I love this. John chapter 12, verse 3. It says in the second half of the verse, after she broke open the jar, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Know this, there is no abstract or just superfluous detail in Scripture. All of Scripture is important. It is all God-breathed. It is such an important detail that when the jar was broken open, not only did her journey change, but the journey actually didn't just change the individual, it changed the atmosphere. It changed the atmosphere. Some of y'all want your situations to change, but you want them to change before you change them. You want your marriage to change, but you won't walk in thanksgiving toward your spouse. You want your marriage to change, but you won't say, I love you. You want your marriage to change, but you won't say, I forgive you. You want your kids to change, but you won't speak better things over their life and better things over their future. You want your parents to come to know Christ, but you won't honor them whatsoever. If you want things to change, you got to let God break something in your life, and then you got to let the atmosphere that flows out of your life begin to change what's in front of you and what's around you. And that happens when we get so familiar with everything that we walk as if, okay, I know this well. I don't have to worry about change. But I'm here to say that some of us have become too familiar with the problems of our situation. And we have stopped being familiar with what the power of God can actually do. we got to get out of just the familiar moments and recognize that when we give our all to Jesus, that we break our all, we offer him our worship, we offer him our service, we offer him our giving, we offer him what we have, that it sends us on a journey where we go after him relentlessly and we allow the transformation and change come from our obedience of going after him. I love this about Mary. It's Mary walked into an atmosphere that she wasn't welcome to. And she walks in boldly. She didn't get the invitation. And she knows what people think about her because they most likely have said it to her face. I'm just going to say the Pharisees, the religious leaders of this day, they weren't shy people. If you're a sinner, they will tell you. You have those people in your life that will just tell you you're a sinner? My grandma Price was one of those people. Jesus was in town. She grabbed her jar, blew the dust off, and without permission walked into a place full of people who condemned her. Full of people who are wagging their finger at them saying, I know who you are and I know what you've done. Walking past. Why? Because all she needed was Jesus and Jesus was going to transform her. Which leads me to our number three. That we've got a jar. We've got the journey. And whenever you have a, you're pouring out your jar, your life, your gift to God... He's going to send you on a new journey, but when you go on your new journey and you're pursuing Jesus beyond 52, there's always going to be a jury. There's always going to be people that will snark at you. Luke says that the jar was in the hands of a sinful woman. Now, I grew up hearing that, okay, she was a sinful woman, which meant that she was somebody that was easy to get to know. Say it nice, just in case there are kids in the room here. 
But for some reason, we stick, I, I've heard it preached about that, that she must have been that type of woman to be called a sinner. But I think that we've actually done Mary dirty here because the Pharisees would call anything sin that didn't match their law. So if the person did, they pick something up on the Sabbath. You're a sinner, you broke Sabbath. They ate something that they didn't think was clean enough. You're a sinner. So we don't know what sin this Pharisee saw. All we knew is she was labeled a sinner. And I'm just telling you this. If you're going to be a person that moves beyond 52, beyond the 52 services, live for Jesus beyond 52 Sundays, into all 52 uh, weeks of the year, you're going to have people that are going to look at you and they're going to say things like, settle down. Don't get too excited. Oh, I just had someone talk to me about this and I actually have this in my notes today. It's just emotion. It's just emotion. Settle down. And even in the middle of that, one of Jesus' followers, in fact, it's the first words of Judas Iscariot that we find in Scripture. Judas finds his voice, and the Scripture says, it says that Judas says, man, what does she do that for? We could have taken that, we could have sold that, put it into the treasury, and we could have done ministry through that. And the Scripture tells us the only reason why Judas wanted her to do that is because he was embezzling from Jesus. Listen, embezzling, number one, is bad. Embezzling from church is even worse. This dude embezzled from Jesus. Ever thought about that? That's some guts. That's some stupidity. But he was motivated. He finds his voice. But whenever you want to do anything for Jesus, you're going to have the jury. You're going to have the snarkiness. I would actually, I wrote it this way. Listen, your generosity will reveal someone else's stinginess. Your surrender will reveal someone else's selfishness. Your extravagance will reveal somebody else's limit, limits. I'm here to tell you this, that when you are making moves toward Jesus, you're going to have people that are either going to be jealous or they're going to be hateful because of things they've seen in their own life. And the only way to, instead of for them to move forward is they will try to pull you back to where they are. But listen, the people's voices and the jury's voices were never meant to be your anchor. According to the, the book of Hebrews, Jesus is meant to be your anchor. He is the anchor of your hope, not the opinions, not what people say. So start pouring your yourself out to the Lord and know the jury will always stand around you telling you how to do it or do it the way that they seem pleasing to them. We're not here to please people. We're here to please the one. And if it's a fragrance, I will pour my oil out. If it's a life laid down, then here I make my vows. If it's a song to sing, then take any melody. That's what it's about. So we have a jar, we have a journey. It's the coldest day of the year, and I'm sweating like crazy. They have, lastly, Jesus. When we give Jesus our everything, he doesn't say, I told you to save it for a special day. I told you to save it for a moment. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 26. It's such a beautiful little tidbit that he says about this woman. And Luke, this woman seems nameless. you got to go to John to find out the name. Matthew says it this way. He quotes Jesus and says, wherever this gospel is proclaimed, wherever the gospel is complained, proclaimed, the whole world will know what she's done and will be told in memory of her. One move toward Jesus had generational repercussions because somebody said yes to giving Jesus what they have. Don't tell me what you have is not much to give to Jesus. 
we are preaching about this woman's obedience. How many hundreds of years later? Because of one move toward Jesus. It's amazing this day and age that we live in. There is a term that is utilized, and the term is influencer, because that's what people want to be in social media. They want to be an influencer. They want to make their living by just making videos and pictures, and that's how they just want to live their life, which sounds like a really great life. But the idea is, I just want to influence. I want, I want to be known by the pictures. I want to be known by videos. I want to be known by accomplishments, and that's why people are making hundreds of millions on YouTube. Um, if you don't know this, every single Monday, I, I actually do Facebook Live. I do a marriage. It's called Marriage Monday. Every single, every single Monday, I enjoy doing it. I have a blast doing it. I love marriage ministry. And then three years ago, I just hit the three anniversary. We moved it to a podcast. So I do the live, and then I record the podcast that's available on Spotify and, you, uh, and Apple and Amazon. It's, I, I have a blast doing that. And then almost a year ago, I decided I'm going to go put Marriage Monday on TikTok. Let's put some positive influence on marriage out there. And so I get about, I don't know, 200, 300, 400, 500 views, and I, and I felt really good. And I did a, a Marriage Monday TikTok on dating your spouse. And then my phone just starts blowing up, and all of a sudden, I hit 105,000 views. And I'm laying in bed, and I'm like, baby, I'm famous. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, 105,000 views on my video. She goes, are we getting any money from it? I'm like, I don't know. The next week, 200 views, 300 views, and we have just never returned to that astronomical thing. Our culture wants to be remembered by being that influencer, by being this, by being that, and what I can show and what I can be. And I feel like we have this narcissistic spirit about us that wants, we want so much to be centered around us. I mean, Jesus talks about this woman. You want to know how she's going to be remembered? She's going to be remembered by what she poured out to Jesus. Not going to be remembered by really much other than she gave her most valuable thing to Jesus because she knew it wasn't ever going to be a man that's going to complete her. And we don't know if Mary ever got married. We, we don't know that. We don't even need to know the end of the story. But she recognized the only thing in her life that can complete her is the only one that could ever, ever complete a human being. And it's Jesus. And her move toward God changed the atmosphere. Her move toward God shifted her story. And so my question is, is what will you do to make a move toward God this year that will make an impact and now Jesus calls out the Pharisees, verses 44 through 47, because they got so familiar with religion that they missed out. I mean, they're looking for the Messiah, and they've missed out that he's right there. I've been to Israel twice. And when you go to the Wailing Wall, which is the base of the temple, it's one of those powerful places to be, and yet it's sad because you're looking, and there are so many people on that wall, and their faces against the wall. And you know what they're praying for? The coming Messiah. And you realize... They miss him, but he's come and he's still here. And I want this to be the year that we don't miss out on Jesus. 
that we dive into who he is and we're able to offer him everything that we have and all that we are, that we would make a break from the norm and get into what he wants us to do, to give what he wants us to give, to get involved in what he wants us to give, get involved with, to be what he has called us to be. It's time for us to have our pride break and let the fragrance of our life be the one that changes the atmosphere in our homes, the marketplace, and the workplace. But it's time to make a break from where you have been and to start diving into what God's called you to be. Something that I've discovered uh, a long time ago is cold water plunges are healthy for individuals. Now, when I was a youth pastor, and Pastor Olivia, could you come and play? I'm more dramatic when there's music behind me. But when I was a youth pastor, we used to cut a hole in the ice in the Upper Peninsula. And we had a sauna that was ready. And so we had kids go into the, called it the polar bear plunge. And then they would run across and dive, just go right into the, the sauna and get warmed up. Now, my mom for years, she's like, she says, David, don't you dare do that. She's talking to me like I'm like the 12. And she's like, you're going to have a heart attack. I'm like, I'm not going to have a heart attack. She's like, you, you just are. That's what happens to people. I'm like, it's going to be fine. But I want you to understand something. A cold water plunge for two minutes. This is what it does. It boosts your immune system. It gives you better sleep. There's pain relief. It elevates moods. Some of y'all are going to stop by a lake on your way home and push your spouse into the lake. You get a dopamine spike, it relieves depression, reduces inflammation, and there's stress relief for a cold water plunge. Some of you are like, we need to get us a cold water plunge. We have a table. Uh, we, we meet with some young couples once a month. And so whenever we go to Stanton's house, uh, we usually we bring swimming trunks and we do a cold water plunge. It doesn't matter what time of the year. Uh, we just did it at, New, I think it's New Year's uh, Eve. We did the cold water plunge outside, and you sit down for two minutes. And here's, here's the trick, is you have to get in, and you have to just breathe. It takes about 12 seconds to catch your breath, but you have to breathe. And when you're in labor, what are the first things they do? They tell you to breathe. Well, when uh, we were going, when, well, I wasn't in labor. When Ann was in labor, <laughs> we got to the hospital, and they're, they're like, just remember your classes. I'm like, we didn't take a class. We skipped them. I'm like, are they going to allow us to have a baby? And they're like, yes, yes. And the nurse said, this is how you breathe. The reason why some of you have backed away from some of the things that God has called you to do is because you, you touched. Like, God challenged you to do something, and you kind of put your hand in there, and you're like, oh, that was a lot. And then you walk away. That just seemed like a lot. Just breathe. Some of you have contacted me. Pastor, I'm going through a rough time. And I, how many of you, and don't raise your hands, one of the first things you get from me is breathe deep and know that God's good. Just breathe deep. And sometimes we get to the New Year's and we sign up for the gym because we want to do something new. And then after like a week, we no longer go back to the gym. Why? Because when you go to the gym, there's pain, there's discomfort. And instead of breathing through the discomfort and the newness, we just go back to the way that we were and we never be move beyond the 52. But then there's some people that will do a little bit more. Some of you, when it comes to the things of God, you stick your right foot in, 
Have any of you ever forgotten to take off your shoes before doing an illustration? <laughs> when it comes to things that God, some of y'all stick your right foot in, you stick your right foot out, stick your right foot in. Y'all hokey poker with God way too often. But then you walk away and you never live beyond a 52. Well, pastors, I mean, we just need a deeper devotional life. That might be true. But some of you, you've been sitting in the bleachers waiting for God to speak. This is God speaking. It's time to go deeper. It's time to take whatever you've had that you've had shelved and that gathering just your worship, your talents, your abilities, your offerings, uh, your prayer life, your devotional life, whatever God has called you to do, it's time to stop just dipping your foot in. It's time to actually do a little bit more. Let me breathe. Some of y'all think of the pain of change, and sometimes people don't change because the pain is just too much. But I'm here to say the people that actually want change, they, real, the, they want change. The people realize that the pain of staying the same is way too much, and you're ready for change in your life. And sometimes you got to dive into what God wants you to do and just breathe deep and know that he's got things in store for you. And some of you, you get into what God is doing, and you're ready to rush out. And it's no wonder why we don't see the benefits of a move of God in our life because we haven't stayed in that move of God. You haven't stayed into the things of God long enough for anything to take root in your life. No wonder why we've got churches that are ineffective. I don't want to be a church that's ineffective in 2024. I'm tired of playing church. I'm tired of shelving what God has. I'm tired of just having, I don't want to have spectators at K-First. I want to be a people that fully participate in everything that God has in store for us. Kalamazoo doesn't need a passive church. We need a, they need a church that's aggressive in the presence of God, in the things of God, so that wherever we go, we carry the fragrance of who Jesus is all over our lives. But it doesn't happen unless we're willing just to sit and breathe deep and know God is good. That means we got to get out of jar. we got to be willing to lay it out and break it before Jesus. Stop shelving what we have and give it to Jesus. Some of you, God has been wanting to move through you mightily. And you've been shelving your abilities... Listen, kids' ministry needs your abilities. Nursery needs your abilities. First impressions need your abilities. Worship team needs your abilities. Tech team needs your abilities. Food pantry needs your abilities. Take what you have and give it because when you give it, you start a journey. A journey that I don't know what it holds, but when you live beyond 52, you begin to see God do more than you've ever asked or imagined. Why? Because you gave God a chance to do it. Some of you think, why hasn't God done more than he's imagined? Just, it's just because you took a dip in and you walked away and you're waiting for him to come chase you down. Stop waiting for God to chase you down. He's already chased you down. That's salvation. Follow him. And you're going to have jurors. People are going to... They're going to be speaking things over your life, and you just got to be content with knowing that you're not going to make everybody happy. You want to make everybody happy, go sell ice cream. 
You got to pursue Jesus. You got to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Because that's what it's all about. It's Jesus. It's just about Him. This morning, I'm asking that we be a church, whether you're watching online or you're watching here. Let's be a church that will live beyond 52. Will God call us to do some things that are just uncomfortable to our norm? You know what? Our norm needs to be shaken up a little bit. Our status quo has got to be shaken up a little bit. He is not the God of the status quo. He is the God that calls us from glory to glory to glory to glory and to glory. We pursue him until he comes again. Let's be a church that lives beyond 52. Let's embrace the tensions of the growth he's calling us into. And when God calls you into, a ten, into some tension, God calls you to a growth place, don't ignore it. Breathe. In the book of Psalms, the word sila, that's, uh, that is, actually means stop, pause, and wait. For musicians, I don't know if you knew this, in the book of Psalms, for musicians that are reading that as music, the word sila actually means breathe. For a trumpet player, it's a, it's a time to just, <gasps> and get life. Because he's not just come to give us just life, he's come to give us life abundant, and it's time to breathe it in. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I ask that you would help us to live beyond 52. That we would make a break from the norm that we have been fueling and feeding into. That we would take a, make a break from the status quo Christianity where we're good just getting to heaven, Lord. You haven't called us to get a ticket punched and just rest in our salvation. You called us to work out our salvation, to grow in that salvation, to flourish, God. And not just to do that, but just to go into all the world and to make disciples. You call that the Great Commission. To be effective, to be spirit-empowered, to go and to be witnesses, to be a city set on a hill, a light on a lampstand, oh God. And to do that, we have got to move beyond just serving you with all we've got for that hour and a half on 52 Sundays a year. we got to go deeper. And that's what you're calling us to. And so today, Lord, we draw a line in the sand, not for you, but for ourselves. We don't want to just stick our hand in and stick our foot in, God. We want to dive into everything that we have. Would you stand with me? Could we, if, if you feel comfortable, could we just lift up our hands in this place and just say, God, whatever you've got for me this year, Whatever you've got for me this year, I'm yours. Whatever you've got for our marriage this year, we're yours. Whatever you've got for our littles, they're yours. Whatever you've got for K-First, Lord, we're yours. Whatever you have in store for Kalamazoo, Lord Jesus, we are yours. We don't want status quo, Lord. We had a great, we had an amazing 2023, God. We saw amazing things happen, God. But that was yesterday here. We want a new wine. We believe that you've been forming this church into a new wineskin. New people, new culture, new focus, God. Because we're preparing for something new to be poured out from heaven, God. We want to live beyond 52 Sundays. Beyond 52 services, God. We want to see, Lord, the kingdom come in Kalamazoo. And we want you to start right here. Start in us, Lord. 
to your glory and to your honor. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May he turn his face towards you, make you warm, and grant you peace. Have an awesome Sunday. God bless.